Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. And John. Nor as I prefer to think of it, dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, yeah. I like a lot of different kinds of pizza. I like it when there's pepperoni. I like a Hawaiian pizza. Mm. I like this crazy pizza where there's goat cheese and caramelized onions that the local place does. But John, nothing tops a plain pizza. <laughs> I'm mostly just offended that you like Hawaiian pizza. I do. I wrote a whole Anthropocene <laughs> Reviewed episode about Hawaiian pizza because it's the most fascinating very food that humans eat. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, Hawaiian pizza was invented in the 1960s by a Greek immigrant who was living in Canada <laughs> and who was inspired by Chinese cuisine to put an originally South American food onto an Italian dish. It is a very global <laughs> phenomenon pineapple on pizza it sounds like the a perfect reason to love it also because it tastes good well hank as, as you know from the anthropocene reviewed episode the the history of pineapples in particular and pineapple on pizza especially is complex and <laughs> at times troubling and i isn't that the way for one don't like the way that it tastes but <laughs> i also try really hard not too harsh on other people's buzz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you like Hawaiian pizza, thank God somebody somewhere likes something. That's what I always say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's answer some questions from our listeners, beginning with this question from Chloe, who writes, Dear John and Hank, could lice become eradicated because of the pandemic? The other day I was scratching my head and I began thinking about head lice. <laughs> the main way people get head lice, right, is like going to school, summer camp, sleepovers. All that stuff isn't happening. One time I heard that lice can only survive for 24 hours without living on a human. And if there's minimal mm. human contact during the pandemic, could that mean the end of the transmission of lice? Chloe. Chloe, I applaud your efforts to find a silver lining to this nasty, (laughs) reprehensible, horrid cloud. (laughs) But alas. But alas. I mean, first of all, we can't eradicate lice because I got a million dollar idea for a lice eradication business. Uh, But it requires that we don't get rid of all of them for it to be sustainable. (laughs) 
No, kidding. I don't actually want to start a, a life business. I So first of all, Chloe, you say here that they can't live for more than uh, 24 hours without being on a living human, but like they stay on the human. So lice don't need to move from person to person. They can stay on one person during the pandemic, lock it down, and then uh, and then just spread to somebody else once it's once it's moved on. Right, John? Right. Lice are also practicing social distancing. Right. And it's going fine for them. In fact, arguably better for them than it's going for us. The other thing to remember here is that, Chloe, people have not stopped coming into close contact with each other. Turns out. It's true that there are fewer sleepovers. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that there are no sleepovers. Yeah, there's also plenty of going to school still. I and, and, and honestly, like, lice is not the thing that I'm most concerned about in terms of eradicating disease. I am interested to see how the the pandemic affects the flu season. I think that it the, the hypothesis being that it will be a better flu season because people will be protecting them from themselves from COVID that will trans, transfer to protection from the flu. But we don't know. And so that will be another experiment we will get to run during this time. Hopefully... A silver lining of this dark cloud that is much larger than its silver lining will be good research that will allow us to come out knowing more about disease transmission and epidemiology and the immune system. But we won't know that for quite a ways still. Yeah. And just to reiterate what Hank said, it's really important to me that we not say that the silver lining is brighter than the cloud. Oh, no. Yeah. Hopefully we will learn something. But As is so often the case with uh, learning lessons from tragedy, we could have learned the same lessons at a much lower cost. All right, John, this next question comes from Sarah, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I recently noticed a sign on my college campus that said, Birds aren't real. (laughs) And then I started to notice some stickers on cars. I looked into it and found that some people don't think birds are real, but that they are drones used by the government to spy on us. I'd be really bummed out if this were true because birds are really beautiful. I know know y'all don't usually comment on conspiracy theories, but I wanted to know your take on it. Growing suspicious of birds. So, God, Sarah. First, let's get off on the right foot here. There's a number of of questions that we're going to go over today that will clear some things up that are important. This one is birds are real. Birds are real. Birds are real. You can catch a bird and look. Well, well, or, or you could look at a bird that was caught by a cat, which does happen fairly regularly in my neighborhood, and see that it's made up of bones and organs and stuff. Yeah. If you walk around enough, you will eventually find dead birds, and you will notice that they are not government-issued uh, drones, but instead <laughs> organisms that have died. Also, Sarah, if we imagine a world where birds aren't real, and I find this is a problem with a lot of conspiracy theories, but putting aside the fact that birds are real, and that we know birds are real, mm-hmm. and that birds have always been real, like, here's how real birds Birds are Sarah. Not only are they older than us, they're dinosaurs. But put putting <laughs> the that idea aside, isn't... <laughs> putting that aside. Okay. Here's my fundamental problem with this conspiracy theory, and it, and most conspiracy theories. If birds aren't real, and birds are United States government drones that spy on us, mm-hmm. why are there birds in other countries? <laughs> is, I have the same problem. No, all the all the birds got replaced in the U.S. John. Oh. They replaced the birds. Here's what. Here's the fascinating thing about birds aren't real is that. So I I think in general the vast majority of people who who like have birds aren't real stickers. This is a joke about conspiracy theories. It's a commentary on conspiracy theory that you can like 
say the most outlandish thing and you can defend any piece of it. You can yeah. find a, a, a story to tell. But here's the thing that I love the most is for the people who do think that birds aren't real. Th so the joke about conspiracy theories then latched onto some people's heads and they were like, actually, maybe birds actually aren't real, which is a, a troubling thing. That's something that happens with a lot of conspiracy theories, though. It does. It does. It and like it's the it's a problem that I have with the joke. Yes. Is that it it actually may be worse yes. to have the joke than to not have the joke. Right. And I'm not sure. It might not be, but I don't know for sure. But for the people who do believe birds aren't real, they think that the US government has put an ability in their drones to be able to poop. <laughs> and the vast majority of times the drones poop, they poop. Just on this, just on the sidewalk. Yeah. But sometimes they poop on people, but they don't like poop on people more or less since they've become drones. This is just a thing that happens like the government bird drones yeah. poop on people. <laughs> and I'm like, could that's just like, first of all, the, the technology necessary to make it possible to have a bird drone be able to excrete a pellet of urea or or it's not urea. It's actually uric acid in birds. It's different than in mammals. Um, and, 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 uh, and feces is just like, wow, that like that level of technology would solve so many problems that we have if we could do chemistry at that at, at, like that controlled biochemical level. But unfortunately, we can't. So in summary, birds are real. Birds are real. I became fascinated, Hank, this week, and I know that it's dangerous to become fascinated with hating conspiracy theories because it really is like one small step to believing in the conspiracy theory. Yeah, well, it's it's it has a very similar um, vibe to like rabbit hole. Yes. Where you can rabbit hole into the into the disproving the conspiracy theory and then you're doing the exact same thing. Right. Yeah, right. You find yourself like battling the conspiracy theory point by point. And at that point, you're like, well, I mean, mm -hmm. maybe some of this stuff is true. Anyway. <laughs> I, be I I fell down the rabbit hole this week of the conspiracy theory that the fires in the western part of the United States uh, are being lit lit by uh -huh. the government. Oh wow! And that it's all being done on purpose. God, see, and the, the wild thing is just like saying this thing out well, loud. It, and it may be that just saying it out loud on this podcast makes it worse, right? Like, yeah. that is part of how conspiracy theories travel. It's part of how they work on us. And I say us because they work on me as well as they work on anybody else. But the main map that was used mm -hmm. to justify this conspiracy theory was like, look, look at this. All the fires end at the Canadian border. Oh, my God. And that's how we know that the United States government is setting these fires. But the thing about the map is that it was a map of fires <laughs> in the United States. And if you look at the map of Canada, oh. there's a lot of fires in Canada. <laughs> but that, but that's, that's on a, a different map, map because Canada is a different country. Kept in a different database. Yeah. yeah. It's easy to forget that Canada is a different country because, you know, <laughs> I have a conspiracy theory that Canada is and long has been part of the United States. That's my, that, that's, that's my one. I'm going okay. to make Canada's part of America merch and people are going to love it and they're going to put it on their cars and then people are going to start to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hank, I have another question. This one's from Anonymous. It's a really great question. Dear John and Hank, do you think this whole thing will be done by the end of the year? Also, why do donuts have holes in them? I don't know the answer to the second question. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's the whole thing, I don't think it'll be over by the end of the year because this whole thing being over is like, that's when the sun swallows the earth. I'm almost, that's when the whole thing is over. I'm almost sure this whole thing is going to last 
into 2021 and beyond. Do you, which do you mean? The human endeavor. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm fairly certain of that. I don't know how to I don't know how to strike the line between being hopeful and being realistic, but I thought Aaron Carroll had a really good op-ed in the New York Times about how this doesn't magically end if there's a good even even a great vaccine, which is very unlikely. Yeah. But it 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 just isn't going to end overnight. And the way that I think some of us have been feeling that way as a almost as like a protective strategy. And I think we need I think we need to set our expectations mm-hmm. around a slow yeah. chapter by chapter return to a new normal rather than like an event yeah. return to a new normal. Right. And I think that when we're talking about normal, to some extent, we we also have to accept that like when we meet when we say normal, we mean the world will start to change less rapidly again. And but that does not mean that it will be like what it was before. Yeah. And on some level, when we talk about normal, we mean a new system of norms will be in place that we feel like are normal. Yeah. And I think that that like I think the human ability to adapt to different circumstances is really exceptional. And we're all experiencing that. But like this is we have lots of times in our lives when this will happen on an individual level where the the whole of our world gets turned upside down and we have to figure out how to move through the world with with everything being different now. It's usually not that we all have that and, and like different versions of it, but all having our world be turned upside down at the same time. Right. Usually when your world gets turned upside down, other people are having stability in their lives. And they can rally around yeah. you, at least in the in in the ideal scenario. Yeah. Whereas now, like, I feel like mm-hmm. everyone's had a different 2020, but the vast majority of people have had an extremely, right. in the best case scenario, have had an extremely weird 2020. And and, <laughs> yeah. and not yeah. and not just COVID, although yeah. I think that's been obviously the the biggest thing. But I think 2020 would have been a little weird regardless. Like <laughs> you made a video oh, yeah. in like December called "Why I'm Worried About 2020." <laughs> Did I? God. <laughs> yeah. And oh, no. you were right. I mean, you were you you obviously. You weren't right about what was going to happen, but you were right in the in the broadest sense. You made this on December 27th, Hank. It was called Why I'm Worried About 2020. And let me read to you. Let me read to you from your video, Hank. Uh, Here are some of the reasons Hank was worried about 2020 on December 27th, 2019. We have a growing population of young people knowing that they are going to be the ones who actually have to solve problems like climate change. That is a reason to be worried about 2020. Also, this is an election year, and it's going to be stressful because of that. They're always stressful. And also, we just impeached our president about the fact that he doesn't have a great deal of respect for that process. So yeah, I'm a little worried about that. (laughs) I'm also worried that there's this tension, some of which is actively manufactured by our leaders or just the architecture of the social internet, that will continue to pull at the bonds of community. Very, again, Hank, pretty good stuff. (laughs) Oh, God. The description says, we're really used to moving forward, so much so that moving back a little bit could seem really big and really scary to people. Dun, dun, dun. Uh... But that's so true. Hank, you and I grew up with the idea that life naturally and inevitably, year by year, got better. 
And even though that wasn't actually mm-hmm. true in the mm-hmm. 1980s, like I think in the 1980s, in many ways, human life got worse for the first time in several decades. It has been true. I think on average, human life has gotten better by most metrics, by, you know, what percentage of people live in absolute poverty, by child mortality. It has gotten better since 1990 every single year until this year. Yeah. And it's going to be by every measure worse. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you were worried about 2020 and that was correct. Hank, tell me what 2021 is going to look like. (laughs) I'm worried about 2021. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. That's that's helpful. Thanks for that. Um, How do you feel about 2022? God, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to hit me up in December of 2021, John. <laughs> you you tell me, Hank, when you stop being worried. Okay, I'll let you know. <laughs> I will communicate my lack of worry when it arrives. I can't wait for the video that you make December 27th of 2027, <laughs> which is gonna be called Why I'm Not Worried About 2028. Hell yes! 2028. <laughs> I got a I got a lot of good feelings about 2028. <laughs> This next question, John, comes from Dallas, who asks, Dear Hank and John, Yeah. If aliens kept humans as pets, what would human food taste like? Not the stuff we eat in our natural habitat, but if they made kibble like what they feed dogs with all the daily nutrients we'd need in one crunchy nugget thing, how would that taste? I hope it isn't fish-flavored. Dallas from Texas. That's a rough one. Dallas from Texas. First of all, sorry about that. Second, Craft macaroni and cheese. Oh, you think so? I, you think it'd be a dairy flavor? No, I think it would be craft macaroni and cheese. Mm. Like I think if I was fed uh, like a like craft macaroni and cheese with all of the necessary like essential vitamins and minerals and proteins every day for my whole life, and I didn't know other food existed. Like this is the thing about dogs is that they like they don't know any stuff besides kibble is available. Well, they kind of do. Oh. They kind of do know that other food exists, actually, because they okay. eat human food, and then they have to go back to yeah. eating kibble, and they're like, this they just do. isn't as good as salmon. <laughs> yeah, as it's true. I guess that's true. But I but I feel like if I was given Kraft macaroni and cheese every day, I, I wouldn't question it. I just So I actually think that we already have an answer for this question, Hank, because I think that the mm. answer is that it would taste like, about like a chocolate milkshake. Because that's about what Soylent tastes like, the weird nutritional <laughs> replacement strategy like that's used very, by some people who yeah. work in, uh, I don't want to say it's only used by people who work in Silicon Valley, but that's certainly <laughs> the only people I've ever talked to who use it. Uh-huh. Yeah, the idea being that um, they are the pet of an alien race, that alien race <laughs> being Mark Zuckerberg. No, and- the idea is, at least as it's been explained to me by people who use Soylent. The idea is that I'm wasting all this time every day choosing what I eat. Right. I only have so many. And just as Mark Zuckerberg wakes up and puts on the same gray t-shirt every day, I'm going to wake up and drink the same Soylent so that I can like maximize Uh my potential. Yeah. Yeah. Both because like it's fast and so like it's efficient. And also I only have so many decisions I can make every day before I get decision fatigue. So I will eliminate that. 
and I will just have the Soylent. It does sound a little bit to me like they're the pet of some, yeah. I'm not saying an actual <laughs> alien, but of like an idea. Right. Yes. That, yes. They are, they are like the pet of extractive capitalism, maximize your economic utility to right. the social order. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they are there. <laughs> Yeah, the, they are they are the the pet of efficiency. <laughs> I love and, that idea so much. Like we're all pets to some idea. Yeah, just be careful what idea you're a pet to. Yeah, and, and but I want to I want to be I want my owner to be like, eat, I'm gonna feed you something different three meals a day because I like that. That sounds like a nice person to to be owned by. That said, like when I had a dog, he ate dog food, and he was happy at least so far as <laughs> I could tell. Happy enough. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. Right. And and you know Would what, I'd Hank? Would be happier if I just ate Kraft macaroni and cheese every day? Well, maybe. But the thing is, the idea of efficiency doesn't actually care if you're happy. It cares if you're efficient. It's true. And hmm. now I am having my second existential crisis of this hour. Yeah, because you can't be... You're never happy if you want to be happy, because then you're always thinking about whether you're happy. So you have to find some other thing that isn't happiness that makes you happy that you focus on. And maybe for some people that's maximizing their their economic utility <laughs> or just maximizing the amount of money that they make. Uh, yep. Yep. But are we that? <sighs> Did we do that by accident? Nope. Well, I mean, that's is certainly a, there is a push toward that. If you just listen to the the social voice. Have I lived my life? The whispers. Pushing toward. I don't think so. Some worship. It doesn't. Of efficiency. Doesn't seem like it. Utility. Doesn't. Above. Maybe utility. Oh, frick. Yeah, but I think that's okay. Wait, what is the point of. Utility. Wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back up. What is the point of being alive? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that you have to know is that, and, and you taught me this is that there isn't one unless you decide on one. And sometimes you don't know you're deciding. But you're still but deciding. But you are anyway. Yeah. And what did I decide? <laughs> that I think it's a combination of making stupid podcasts with your brother. Yeah. Writing lovely um, things and uh, taking care of your family and also educating people. All right. Yeah, that works. I think I can live with that. It reminded me, Hank, when you said writing lovely um things, it reminded me of when I met a former Indiana United States senator mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. who recognized me sort of, and he was uh, drinking, I think it's safe to say, <laughs> and he shook my hand and he looked me in the eyes and just slightly slurred, said, I hope you sell a lot of um things <laughs> I said thank you senator I've heard that story but it's still very good because <laughs> uh, <laughs> isn't that isn't that sort of like what everybody's hoping yeah I hope you sell a lot of um things <laughs> which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by selling um things selling um things <laughs> It's the way to maximize your economic productivity. This podcast is also brought to you by bird poop. (laughs) Conclusive proof. (laughs) Birds are real. Biochemical, but also just, uh, why would they do that to us? 
Today's podcast is also, of course, sponsored by 2028. 2028, we've got a good feeling. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by... Uh, Starting your sentences without knowing how you're going to end them. (laughs) Starting your sentences without knowing how you're going to end them. Tried and true strategy of Hank Green and also our mom. (laughs) (laughs) So true. It's so true. I've noticed that... I've noticed that I start a lot of sentences with um, and I have no idea what's coming after. It's just that I'm ready to talk. Yeah. God, I need to stop this. I do the same thing. When I say um, what it means is get ready, strap in, something's going to happen, and none of us know what it is, including me. What what um means is I'd like for you to stop talking. (laughs) Um... (laughs) We also have a Project for Awesome message from Kathy S., who says, This is a friendly reminder from a fellow nerd fighter to please get your influenza vaccine this season. DFTBA, woo, woo, woo. don't flu the boosters. Awesome. What a good DFTBA initialism. That's very good. Um, yeah, we were talking about flu a little earlier, and I should have mentioned that. One of the ways that this flu season can be better than usual is because people get their flu shots because they are more concerned and more aware of the efficacy and awesomeness of vaccines. I got my flu vaccine already. I get it every year, but this is the first year when I got it like in week one. It was like, I was like staying up all night for the midnight release of the flu vaccine. <laughs> this episode of Dear Hang is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly ship to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. <laughs> Sean, that is um, really adorable. John, we have another question about, and this is, I can't help it. I got to do it because of the the way that the podcast has gone. It's from Annie who asks, Dear Hank and John, I've been bird sitting my cousin's parakeet for about a week and I've never Mm. once seen this bird pee. I've seen it poop plenty of times because it's a real bird, but it hasn't (laughs) peed. Do birds pee? 
You hear about bird poop all the time, but I've never seen bird pee. Is this parakeet just shy? (laughs) (laughs) Parakeets in poop, Annie. (laughs) Yeah, the birds just pee shy. Yeah, right. It'll it'll poop around you. It's not poop shy, but pee shy. Birds it's got stage fright. Yeah, so birds do do things a little differently than us. So this is really actually interesting. Um, And this, I I didn't think this was interesting until Deboki did some great work around researching this question. So thank you to our editorial assistant, Deboki Chakravarti. So birds pee differently than people. Their pee and poop comes out in a single package. So pee, the reason we pee, well, one reason we pee, is because we we have to get rid of nitrogenous wastes. And these are soluble in water. But we do it through urea. And you can only dissolve so much urea per unit of water. But you can dissolve more uric acid per unit of water. And it's just two different ways of getting rid of nitrogen. So like the stuff that we aren't going to be able to use anymore. And because because birds need to fly because they're real birds, they (laughs) like they want to have less water in their bodies. And so they want to be able to get rid of more nitrogen per unit of water. So they Mm. use uric acid and that makes the pee part of the pee less liquidy. And so there's less water per amount of nitrogen getting gotten rid of, which is super effective for them because it means they don't have to carry around as much water. They can fly better. Everything that birds do is so that they can be more efficient and, and weigh less and do all of the things that their bodies need to do. And uric acid is a part of that. Now, it's also, this is true of reptiles as well. They use uric acid. Um, it's sort of a lineage break where mammals, when we broke off from from other things we started to use this other way of getting rid of nitrogen, which requires a lot more water. But I found that, that I found that fascinating. So the uric acid part is the white part of a bird poop. Uh, and then the poop part is the little pellet of feces in the middle. If you want to get technical about it. That was surprisingly fascinating. And it left me with only one question. If you could be a bird, would you? Um, permanently? No, no. Just for the rest of your life. <laughs> Obviously, if you could do it permanently, you would, because that would mean that you would live forever as a bird, which is the dream. I would be infinite bird, the Marvel superhero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, I want to be, a, I, I like being a person. I think that we're ultimately cooler than, though it looks like a lot of fun. It's like a lot of fun to be a bird. I think that I would choose to be a person over any other species, mm-hmm. but if I were going to be something that isn't a human... I would want to be a bird. If I could be anything besides being a human, I would want to be a, a member of some other world-dominating race just to no, like, no, no, live no. half seas so I could see how the others do it. No, I'd like to be like a toucan laying one to four white eggs in an already made tree cavity <laughs> once every year or so. <laughs> That's my dream. <laughs> so good. Anyways, next question comes from Jason, who writes, Dear John and Hank, Hank, this question is so epic, and it's so, it's one of the few questions where we have real expertise that we can bring to bear. Okay. Dear John and Hank, my wife and I have been married for a while, and we've lived in three beautiful locations, Boulder, Colorado, St. Paul, Minnesota, and Madison, Wisconsin. All lovely. Beautiful, but also very cold for half the year. I was on the verge of finally convincing her to move with me to Florida, specifically the Orlando area, Hank and I's hometown. Mm -hmm. But then 
I made the mistake of mentioning that there are 1.3 million alligators in Florida, and now she's terrified of being consumed by or having someone she loves be consumed by an ancient reptile. (laughs) How do I convince her that the imperceptibly small likelihood of this happening is more than offset by the complete absence of blizzards and polar vortexes willing to trade frostbite for alligator bites? Jason. Well, I mean, of the things to be concerned about in Florida, exactly. I will say that alligators are very low on the list. There are so many reasons, Jason's <laughs> spouse, for not moving to the Orlando area. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There, there are pl- there are gators in the Orlando area. Like, not really. Just, but like, you stay away. Yeah, like most of the ponds and lakes don't have alligators. No, and even if they do, they have like one, and it's a small alligator, and it's yeah. They don't, and it, it, if you don't go near the edge of a freshwater body of water, you just never like they don't go places. Hank and I grew up and this kind of blows my mind when I think about it. We grew up swimming in a lake yes. that we knew contained yeah. many alligators that were like 10 or 12 feet long. Yeah. We would see them all the time. It's true. And you just go to the edge of the dock and you look around and you're like, any gators? And then you're like, yes. And then you don't jump in or no. And then you do. I don't know that I would like recommend that strategy today, <laughs> Jason, but that's how we did it in the in in the 80s. Yeah, it just it, it these conversations always remind me of how many people die in car accidents and uh, how we don't mm. see that as a dangerous activity, but should. It is far more dangerous than swimming in a lake. It is the most dangerous thing that we regularly do as people. And I mean, speak for yourself. <laughs> Okay, I'm speaking for myself and also for you. There are some yeah, people you don't who know, do. You don't, you don't know what I do. <laughs> but yeah, the main thing to, to to say here, more public health advice, pay attention while you're driving always, 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 because the life that ends might not be yours. Yep. So that's not a joke. And I'm serious about it. Yeah. I feel like we should give Jason a serious recommendation about whether to move to Orlando. Yeah, I think Orlando's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's any place that's safe, though. Yeah, I mean, we, we grew up in Orlando. Yeah, hurricanes are serious. Yeah. Um, should be concerned about that. Yeah. Orlando is a very different city from what it was when we were growing up. They have an MLS team now. They've got, like, microbreweries. A lot of our friends who live in Orlando really like it now, even though, like mm-hmm. us, they hated it when, when we were kids. Yep. And and so it's definitely a different place from what it was when we were there. It's, it's cool to be close to um, Wet n' Wild. If you like, oh God, wet and wild. If you like Jeez. to get uh, wet and or wild. <laughs> <laughs> Hank, do you remember when we saw the band Warrant? No, play at Wet and Wild. No, we didn't. Yes, we did. I've seen you Warrant. Maybe, maybe it's possible that you weren't there, but it one hundred percent happened because oh, it is imprinted God. on my memory being in that gigantic wave pool. Oh with like 2,500 other people while the band Warrant sang their hit song, Cherry Pie. Oh my God. I I mean, if that happened and I don't remember it, then then any anything is possible. It was one of the first times that I was aware of the fact that I thought differently about germs than other people because <laughs> everyone was like, she's my che-. And I was just sitting there like in the wave pool, like literally like floating up and down with the waves. And I was just thinking, this can't be safe. <laughs> like there's no amount of it's, chlorine yeah. that, that makes this an acceptable risk to me. Yeah, well... 
I would like to revise my earlier story with a fact-checked version of the story that is far more disturbing. The concert in question was not apparently at Wet n' Wild. It was at Watermania. Do you remember Watermania? Yeah. It was like the the really bad version of Wet n' Wild. Mm-hmm. Hank, I would like to read to you from the Orlando Sentinel's article previewing this event wow. at Watermania. Okay. The band's first and only album, Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinking Rich, might describe the band's music if you take away the last word. But they have their fans, (laughs) including apparently 12-year-old me. Earlier this year, the band had a hit with the Randy Down Boys. Osceola residents will have a chance to glimpse Warrant Saturday when they appear alongside opening acts Blue Murder and Stage Dolls at Watermania. And there I was, Hank, in the wave pool. Ah, the world that you could go you could watch a concert in a wave pool that's pretty cool uh i don't remember it being great you know john i'm glad you did that i'm glad for you john i have to answer one more question and it's applicable to your warrant concert it's from avery who asks dear hank and john can listening to music loudly really damage your hearing or is that another lie that adults tell you to get you to turn your music down avery Avery, yes. 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 Yes, it can actually damage your hearing. And yes, it has actually damaged mine. So in amongst this whole uh, Dear Hank and John, where we mostly seem to talk about uh, old old people advice for how to live your life more safely, please take care of your ears because you can permanently damage them, especially with earbuds turned up too loud. That's, I'm just, I'm 40 now, John. This is my job. I like this new Hank who wants everybody to be careful while driving, um, wants people to know that birds are real, and wants you to keep your music at a reasonable level. And if there's, and you should check if there's alligators before you jump in a pond. (laughs) That's some low quality (laughs) advice. It's time for the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. I'll go first because AFC Wimbledon over the weekend, Hank played a thrilling. But not like in a good way, uh, match. Wimbledon have scored more goals in their first two games than they scored Mm. in their first like 10 games last season. But unfortunately, (laughs) despite scoring six goals in two games, we have only managed two draws. We were up four to two against Plymouth Argyle. Uh, with 15 minutes remaining and then gave up two goals in very, very quick succession and found ourselves tying four to four, a baseball score. I mean, in the old days, that was an American football score back when they only scored safeties. And (laughs) so it was it was a fun match to watch. There were uh, I believe there were a total of 43 shots. So it was we need to uh, tighten up the, the, the defense significantly yeah Yeah. but oh are we a joy to watch going forward uh new player ryan longman scored a magnificent goal uh joe piggott our captain and uh long time now uh serving forward scored two goals it was a good game it just we gotta we've gotta find some wins john is the one who's named longman is he a small bottom big you know, he's a little bit of an exception to the rule, Hank. He's 5'11", so he's he's oh, right in the, he's middle in, the, in, the, in the middle of, of professional footballer height. So I would say he's a he's a, a medium bottom medium. Well, I was I was just hoping it would be easy to remember. If, yeah, if he was a long man, he's not. But boy, for people who haven't listened to previous episodes of the podcast, this is a pretty weird joke. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> 
Well, in Mars news, John, I got some fancy camera news. The Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency, JAXA, and uh, its broadcaster, the NHK, are working together to send a super high-vision camera to film Mars and its moons. The goal is to make a camera that can film in both 4K and 8K and then send it on the future Martian Moons Exploration Mission, or MMX, which is scheduled to launch in 2024. Uh, the focus of the mission is to study Mars's two moons, Phobos and Deimos, which will include getting a sample off of Phobos and sending it back to Earth. And it'll be, this will be the first sample return mission from someplace other than the moon or an asteroid. I think that we've gotten pieces of dust back from a comet before, but never from uh, a planet or a moon besides our moon. Mm, I think. Cool. And also, of course, it will hopefully be getting some very good high-resolution footage. As it takes pictures, the camera will send parts of the image back to Earth and keep the original pictures later to send back in a capsule. So one of the problems oh. with like taking really high-res pictures of Mars is that it like the internet takes is a slow. long time to yeah the the internet is slow to yeah, Mars super slow and so Mar Martian gonna... internet is famously famously bad. <laughs> yeah, so they're actually going to be sending sending like physical stored files back to us. Um, and then combined, the images will give us information about Mars and its moons. And combined with flight data, they'll also help the people operating the spacecraft assess how well it is working. So cool, good news uh, from the a future Mars mission. The idea is that some human being will pick this footage up. Yeah, it, it will come back along with the sample. It will be delivered to us to study. With a person. A person will study it, yes. No, no, no. Will a per will a person go to Mars? No, 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 no. So it it will just it will fly back to us somehow. Yes. Yeah. Take take a sample, fly back. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it'll be your first first uh see sample return missions have been talked about a ton, but we have not yet been able to get one done. It seems like the hard part of that would, would not be getting to Mars, which we've done. It would be getting back to Earth. Equally difficult, honestly. But you got to have enough, like, fuel to get back to Earth. Right, which is why they're not taking the sample from the surface of Mars. Um, the escape velocity of Mars's moons is you could, like, throw a rock off of it. So it does not take mm. a lot of fuel to get to get off of, to get out back out of that gravity well. It does, then you do have to burn some fuel to get back into our orbit. Right. That's always what stressed me out about the book, The Little Prince. Nobody ever talks about this, but <laughs> that book really stressed me out because that moon that that guy was on was so small. And I was like, this guy, he's, there's nothing to hold him onto the moon. Like, what if he what if he wakes up one morning and before thinking about it, he jumps and then suddenly it's over. He's just gone. Wow. Nobody ever talked. Nope. Yeah. You no, know, I hadn't thought about that, John. That's <laughs> just you. A lot of critical analysis of that book, but I've never I've never read that particular observation. <laughs> God. Well, Hank, thank you for potting with me. Um, and, and a big thanks to Tuna for editing this episode because it was a mess. <laughs> if you want to email us, you can do so by emailing hankandjohn at gmail.com. We really love reading your questions. We're sorry that we don't answer more of them, but please send in your questions. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our editorial assistant is Debuki Trocavardi, and our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. The music you're hearing right now is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.